1: Okay, so just a few uh, quick announcements. Number one is Sunday, right, is going to be whatever. I mean, I prayed about it, talked about it. This country's getting worse and worse. And really two subjects that I have to bring up have to do with that subject matter. But the first is that on Sunday, we're going to be talking about our security measures in light of that another church shooting, the Lakewood Church in Texas. Um, You know, there was a Christian school last year in Tennessee that got shot up, and and we just talk about what we do, what's seen, what's unseen, but what we don't do is we don't telegraph our hands in case anybody's checking out the church. So we're going to speak in generalities on Sunday. Uh, Certainly, if you're a part of the church, you can come ask us specifically what I meant. But I just want to make sure it's enough information that people know that we're. We have a lot going on, but again, not to totally telegraph uh, our hand and what we would do in this case or that case. So so we're going to be doing that on Sunday, and uh, actually, if we have time towards the end, uh, I'm going to talk about a lot of things that are going on in this country itself, even with the recent uh, terrorist uh, alert that one of the representatives had asked the president to declassify because it could affect millions of Americans, and there's this battle because he doesn't want to do it. So, of course, that leads to question, my goodness, what's going to happen, right? So we're going to talk about a lot of things, a lot of metrics, a lot of um, things that are happening, and, you know, what, what is our role as believers? Okay, so let's go through some of these questions. It says, all right, some of these questions actually I had to look up because, I mean, as far as things that happen in the world because I just, I'm just i not familiar with the terms. Um, and the way the questions are phrased, we, we sometimes have to guess what the, what, what the point that the person is, is asking about so that we can answer their question. So this one says, Mormons and Scientology are pretty close in their beliefs. Scientology has a practice called fair game. They r- ruin a person's life at all expense because they don't believe in their beliefs. Your thoughts on this, and would you help a person being fair games? So right away, I would say, of course, we would help a person. Uh, we've, we've helped people that have come out of different sort of denominations where they've been abused in some way. Could be emotionally, could be physically, could be spiritually, could be all three. Uh, so, you know, they find a safe place here uh, because, you know, we just really want to focus on bringing people closer to God, not all the religious and denominational stuff Uh, And there are some famous people, actually, that have been treated poorly by Scientology and Mormonism because they disagreed with them or exposed some certain things. Uh, So my thoughts on this is that's not what a church is supposed to do, (laughs) is tit for tat. Or, I mean, if somebody left here and they didn't agree with our doctrine, God bless them. But I would just say, give us a chance to explain what your issue is, and we'll go through it scripturally. Right? Um so I don't want to dominate that but it's an interesting question.
2: Uh yeah, so yeah so in Scientology the term fair game um is actually a practice and a policy that was developed by L Ron Hubbard who was the founder of Scientology in order to deal with people who had disagreements with church doctrine policy the way they dealt with people and 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 all of that, so we encourage people to say, Hey, if you disagree with us come and come to us let us uh let's sit down let's talk let's we'll we'll get the bible out let's see um you know let's let's talk about it some and i won't really i really don't like to call them churches i rather really, rather call them cults. Because what happens in cults is there is no disagreement there is no room for uh, you know f- for you to say hey or question things um, it's their way or no way and once you're in deep enough into these cults um, it's hard to even get out um, so that's what that 's what the main difference is I think between what I would consider a cult and what I would consider a you know, a mainstream church. And within Christianity, there can be some differences in um, some doctrines that aren't essential to the faith. Um, but on the main things, there, there should be agreement or else you really wouldn't be considered a, a church. Um, so, yeah, I, I just don't... I, so, I th- so what would we do if someone was being fair-gamed we would give them a place of sanctuary, really, to say, hey, come here, come to us, sit with us, let's talk about it. Where's the disagreement that you have? We'll show them in Scripture whether their you know, view is right or wrong. And, um, uh, but we would, we would probably counsel them. Well, I know if it was specifically Scientology or, um, what was it, Mormonism was the other one? We would, we would counsel them to leave, to leave the church because it's not a true church.
3: As Pastor Joe was saying, there's so many things currently going on in the world that Scientology and the Mormons can, don't even have a clue. They don't have anything that they can refer to to explain the things that are going on. So we have the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So we just have to point people to Jesus. And we welcome anyone from atheists to any cult to to come in and and uh, debate us. I mean, that's why we have so many different um, settings, whether it's uh, the Q and A like this, uh, um, women's groups, men's groups, Berean room. You know, we want those kind of challenges. And we're living in the age of deception. You know, in Matthew 24:24 24, 24, says, "False messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders." to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So there's going to be a lot of lying signs and lying wonders, especially as we get closer and closer to the um, the rapture of the church. So we're living in an exciting time, so don't be surprised that we see more and more people that are off the uh, Christian path coming in here and asking questions.
1: Okay. Um, actually, so we're starting 1 Thessalonians on Sunday, mm-hmm. and um, I encourage everybody, it's great, First and Second Thessalonians are pretty awesome. Uh, I encourage everybody to get those teachings, because there is a, an attack on the rapture, or the doctrine of the rapture, and it's been going on for some time, and I, there's a root behind it, so I'm so excited. I have to wait a few weeks before I actually get to chapter 4. Uh, but if you've ever heard these attacks on the rapture or if you, uh, you know, are, are get to be frightened by some of these, there's, again, there's a root to it, and we're going to really cover it in its entirety uh, because it's it's something that Paul spoke to the Thessalonians. It's very important. So Pastor Vinny just bringing that up made me think of that. Okay. Going back to a question in Matthew says in Matthew when Jesus died on the cross the curtain was torn actually from top to bottom why did believers come out of the graves was it prophecy so that would be in Matthew 27 I just got this card hot off the press I think the ink is still wet so if we go to Matthew 27 starting in verse 51 it is signs accompanying Jesus' death Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep or had died, they're in graves, it's a nice word of saying, nice way to say they passed, were raised, and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So, a lot to this, only a few verses, but you look at... um, You know, there's sort of this idea of, you see like a lot of the harvest festivals, and in the harvest festivals, God would closely associate the harvest festivals with a doctrine, because being a largely agrarian society back then, it made sense. Everybody could understand it. Like today, some people today might might not even know a farmer, but back then, everybody understood the farming community. It was a way of life, right? Right. You could not know somebody who was farming. So we look at the uh, the, sort of the raising of of the dead uh, when it comes to Jesus Christ, sort of in three uh, sort of pieces, right? And with the harvest, there was the first fruits. So if you had a harvest, you would give God the first fruits. It was not a huge amount, but you wanted to give that to God. Then there was the main harvest, and then the third part of the harvest was sort of the gleanings, and that was for the people to come in who couldn't afford. And it wasn't bad stuff; it just was, it just was sort of the end part of the harvest. And it was really almost a—it was a social program. But the harvest fed people, so um, it's been sort of divided up in three parts, where this kind of you know people being raised. In conjunction with what Jesus did and some people look at this because there was some some it wasn't so many that it emptied the city or that uh, you know it made world news but it was something that was observable so you can sort of see that as the first fruits and very interesting it says after Jesus's resurrection because he was resurrected first and with his resurrection there were some in in the city that came out of the graves and were resurrected uh, and and it, it was witnessed. Uh, the main harvest would be the rapture, which we'll get into uh, in a few weeks, and then the sort of the gleanings will be the, sort of that last rising or the, uh, uh, the tribulation saints. You know, there's some t- disagreement or, you know, just differences with theologians. Um, so the question is, was it prophecy? And again, I would look at it as there were a lot of, and I'll let, I'll let pastor Vinny and pastor paul because there's there's other parts to this the veil torn from top to bottom the earthquake the rocks were split uh so a lot of things were happening and i would just say regarding the 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 saints you know those who right who, who were raised uh that was an accompanying of christ who really is the first fruits but that sort of small group of people that uh, also were raised after right after Sometime after his resurrection, Matthew twenty-seven fifty-one through 53. Our God is
3: so amazing because he will use anything to try to get um, the attention of people. And I like what Spurgeon says. It's, he said that men's hearts did not respond to the agonizing cries of the dying Redeemer, but the rocks responded. The rocks were rent. He did not die for rocks, yet rocks were more tender than the hearts of men, for whom he shed his blood. And even the uh, Pharisaical priest, you know, with remember that temp, the uh, curtain of the temple was probably from our floor and almost up to the ceiling, the height of it. So when the high priest would go in there once a year, he would just go in from the ground floor, and he would go in to the holy of holies. But this was rent by God from the top to the bottom, this big, huge, thick curtain. Like man couldn't do that. And God was showing that now, because of what Jesus did on the cross, you don't have to be a high priest once a year to go in. God paid the price for man's sin once and for all. And now everybody, you and I, can enter into the throne room of grace anytime we want 24/7 365 in the middle of the night it doesn't matter and by God's grace we know this we experience this but there are people today whose hearts are as hard as rocks that it's so awesome right guys whenever and everybody here when we see someone come forward because it's God's grace being just shed and their eyes are being open and they're responding and their hearts were once hard but now they're open so we just glorify God that he just brought you into the kingdom brought me into the kingdom and what did it take for us to come in and we see that even way back here he was trying all different ways to get everybody's attention
2: yeah i think i think the um the raising of those um, saints who had previously passed after Jesus rose um, is just, like Pastor Vinny said, just another example of God's grace to get get the word out. Like, this is a traumatic event that happened here. Go back historically to the day that Jesus uh, was crucified, uh, to the... um, earthquakes, the rock splitting, all of these cataclysmic events. And so there were probably people panicking like they would at any any time that there was anything cataclysmic like this going on. So there would need to be saints who would be able to, to minister to the people. And so in God's grace, after Jesus was resurrected as the first fruit of those who had fallen asleep, he raised up some. It doesn't say all. It says many. So it's, he raised up some to go out and amongst the people to just spread the gospel so that more, so that people wouldn't fear, obviously, um, wouldn't fee, be discouraged. Imagine, I mean, all the apostles left. They were discouraged. They thought Jesus was, they, they heard what Jesus said, but they didn't completely understand it. All of the Disciples and followers of Christ heard what he said about his, his death and, and his ultimate crucifixion and resurrection. A lot of them didn't understand it. So these saints who had gone before, God raised up for a purpose um, to go out and to just spread the gospel to people. Encourage people. Minister to people. Don't we see that um, throughout history? That God uses people until he shuts that door he 's going to keep drawing people to himself,
3: well, I was thinking as you 're talking like uh, what was it a six cent dead people walking is that was the term like i 'm looking right now at dead people that are alive you 're looking at dead people spiritually speaking that are alive, and it 's a result of the resurrection of Jesus christ, just and it 's like a preview you know we 're the resurrected body, what's going to take place one day for all those who have preceded us, you know, will be joining us in the rapture of the church one day. I mean, we all hope that we're still living and we're all taken up together. That What a glorious day that'll be. You know, it'll put new words to or new meaning to the words that we sang in the song.
1: Okay, so some just really interesting questions that come up that... Like, I never thought of that. So the question is, the next one is, is Adam and Eve in heaven? Right? Some of these are speculative, but I I think that they are. Uh, Even after sin entered the world, God was still, they were marred, they were um, effaced, they were uh, stained by sin, and God was still having discussions with them. He was reasoning with them. He prophesied to them. You know, uh, when I, I think about people pre-Christ, right, they had to accept and believe in Christ as a Lord and Savior. Um, they had to believe God that he would provide that sacrifice like uh, God provided this, the animal skins, right? The sacrifice. Now there's got to be a blood sacrifice. Death enters the world as a result of sin. But... Uh, you know, I think about Romans 4 that talks about Abraham and how was Abraham saved? How was righteousness imputed to him? Not because Abraham was Mr. Wonderful, because uh, Abraham sinned. We see that clearly. You know, God had ideas for Abraham and he sometimes fell short. So he's in the same boat as the rest of us. But it said that Abraham uh, believed God and righteousness was imputed to him. So before the law, which came much later, right? Abraham was was justified. Before uh, circumcision, Abraham was justified. So as we go through the scripture, we see how the Old Testament saints, you know, they didn't say, well, you know what, God, we're just going to go our own separate way. Don't ever speak to us again. And like he, God has he's reasons with them. He reasons with their children. Uh, so I personally believe I mean, they saw God. (laughs) They actually are the ones that lived in a time before there was sin. Imagine how close they were to Him. Uh, And then, when sin entered the world through them, things changed. Uh, So, I I do believe they are in heaven. Pastor Paul.
2: Yeah, it's interesting if we look at Adam and Eve not as uh, you know. Sometimes we we fail to see them as human beings. Um. Uh, but if we just take it at face value that, yeah, okay, they were, the, they were the first human beings, but like Pastor Joe said, they had a relationship with God, right? They walked with God. They talked with God. Uh, we don't know how long passed between their creation and the sin, um, but think about us. Think about it in the context of our life. You know, when we were born, we didn't really know God. There had to come a point when we, at at, at, of the age of reason, that we made a decision to follow Christ. So, from that point to our death, did we ever disobey God? Well, of course we did. Did we ever sin against God? Yes. Well, of course we did. Does that mean that our salvation? Would we lost our salvation? That goes to that to that question: Can you lose your salvation? So, if You believe that if you believe that once you're truly saved, that you're sealed and you can't lose your salvation, then I don't see, I mean, again, the Bible is silent on it, but it seems like Adam and Eve would be in heaven. They had a relationship with God. They walked with God. They talked with God. There had to be times of obedience and reverence with God. And then the fall, just like we fall. Uh, But God's... God's gracious; He's, uh, you know, He's merciful, and so um, I think if if we answer the question, are Adam and Eve in, are in heaven? If we if we say no, we have to question whether we could get to heaven because God, you know, but God is gracious. That's that's the way I see it.
3: You know, it's, uh, you wonder what they experienced, Adam and Eve. Like was said, how many years went by before they fell. And then after they fell, just their heart and their mind, you know, what they were thinking, knowing that what they once had and now paradise lost. And I think of Abel and Cain, uh, their sons, and how Abel knew to sacrifice an animal, the first fruits, and Cain decided to do his own thing. You know, just the rebellion in us. I mean, we can relate to all of them, Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel. And I just thank God that he is the second Adam, that he's the one who redeems what man could not do. Again, it just shows the need for God for all of us. The human race cannot make it on its own. It, it depends on Jesus. It has to depend on Jesus.
1: Please explain the three days that Jesus was in the realm of the dead in Hebrew time. Uh, and then two, which we'll do one at a time because two is a whole other topic. Speaking in tongues, please explain the gift of tongues in this time dispensation. And I'll read the rest of it once we get to that. But um, we, we actually went through this. Uh, we actually talked about this. Sometimes there's a little bit of a confusion regarding some of the works where someone is speaking in a Roman rendering of time and another person speaking in a Hebrew Jewish rendering of time, which which is different. Usually the times of the day, uh, people get confused and wonder if there's a Bible discrepancy, but it just is which, which rendering of time the author is speaking in. You know, Jesus refers to Jonah, as a real event, right, in in the heart of the great fish uh, for three days. And Jesus said, so we'll be with him. Uh, so basically, you know, he dies, his body is on the cross, but, you know, his fully God part. Don't ask me, <laughs> people say, can you explain this? Um, can I explain God? Not really, <laughs> but I can do the best I can. Uh, so he gives up his spirit, and there's like this kind of separation between the fully God and the fully man part, and he goes somewhere for three days. Uh, Ephesians 4 seems to speak about this more before he ascended. He first descended into the lower parts of the earth, and there's more to that as well. So Jesus was very busy in those three days where the world just saw it as, oh, they took his body down. Oh, it's in a nice rich man's tomb. And, uh, oh, wow, look, he's back. His tomb's empty. But there was a lot going on because Jesus, from my understanding, is that when he he descended along with all the other things he did, he freed the captives uh, who were in that part of Hades, but the good part, Abraham, uh, Lazarus, right? And and all the saints, the pre-Christ saints who believed in God and trusted God for their salvation, he comes down and he opens those doors, so to speak, and he frees those saints to be in God's God the Father's direct presence, and then the Lord Jesus <laughs> don't ask me how he did it, but his fully God part reunites with the body, and the body is, is a different body and it's a glorious body, and that's what he spends 40 days on the earth in his post uh, post-resurrection form, and then after those 40 days, he ascends into heaven. so I'm um, more than happy to hear your, and your take on, on that situation. So
3: again, I'm thinking about all those years that um, those people who looked forward to the Messiah that had passed away and gone into Abraham's bosom. So they were there for hundreds and hundreds of years waiting to be delivered. Because in the Old Testament, the prophecies were the, prof- the prophecies of the coming Messiah. So they didn't see. Jesus born, they didn't see him walking on the earth, and then, of course, during those thirty three years of Jesus on the earth, there were people who uh, believed in him, that passed away, that went down there, you know with Moses and with uh, Jonah and all, all the any saint that you want to pull up in the Old testament and then when Jesus came down, what a, how how awesome that must have been when Jesus came down. To deliver them and set them free. But there's also the other side. Is the side, the gulf. Where the people were suffering. And the rich man and all those other people that died. Outside of believing in God's promised Messiah. That are still there to this day. Along with anybody who dies today without Jesus Christ. They're there. It's a real place. You know, God proves that in his word so oh it 's a glorious time for believers, but what a terrible time for those who have never placed their trust in jesus christ and I have no idea if I answer that question yeah <laughs> you
2: yeah, you did, yeah, you did. I, I think it also goes to the first fruits, the same thing that we discussed before, where like Pastor Vinny and Pastor Joe said, that these these Old Testament saints, the ones that look forward and believed, um, were in this holding place in Abraham's bos- bosom, which was not a place of torture or torment at all, but it was just a waiting waiting place because Jesus had to be the first fruits of those who had fallen asleep, the first to be raised. So once he was resurrected, he kind of, what 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 can be, what can be interpreted, and again, this is this is only an interpretation of this, is that he went and he declared, uh, 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 you know, uh, victory to the to these saints. That led. It says in Ephesians 4, he he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So, before, when he descended, he first before he ascended, he descended. He led them free. He, he, he proclaimed victory. And, um, and now they, because he also was raised, they could also be raised. And it was a joyous thing.
3: I was thinking, too, when uh, you were talking, Pastor Paul, is we're also, you know, we look back at the cross and the resurrection, and we are waiting, aren't we? We're waiting, just like those who were in uh, Abraham's bosom. And one day we'll experience that very thing that they did and what a joyous time that's going to be. You know, whether it's the rapture or the day that we close our eyes and are our, our with Christ. You know, where we're absent from the body and in a twinkling, present with the Lord. It's going to be an awesome
1: time. Okay, please explain speaking in tongues and the gift of tongues in this time dispensation because no one... Stands up in the it's it's in pencil in communities to do so. The truth (laughs) over we have the complete word of God in many languages now and uh does not pick them gifts of the spirit. They are okay, so I'm going to try to decipher this. Uh, so speaking in tongues now, this you can find in 1st Corinthians 12 14 but I say 13 as well. I don't think it's a, an accident or a mistake that the Apostle Paul sandwiches love in between chapter 12 and chapter 13 because it's a very interesting thing, this, the gift of tongues. Because, first of all, it's one of many gifts. It's not the best gift that the Apostle Paul even says. And what was happening in Corinth, fast forward 2,000 years, happens in America and the Christian community all over the place where this, this is a, a hotly debated topic because of abuse. So it was abused in Corinth, and it's abused in America. It's abused on the Christian, you know, internet um, and, and TV stations. Um, and Paul has to, the Apostle Paul has to explain how the Holy Spirit works what the gift is, what it's supposed to be used for, what it's not supposed to be used for. And there's something about the gift of tongues that if I just started, and you might say, oh, I trust Pastor Joe, I don't know what he's saying, but thats I wonder if that's a heavenly language. And then nobody stands up to interpret, right? The Bible says, Paul says, if, he, if you're doing this in front of a body, one, one way to, to tell that it's not really from the Holy Spirit is everybody's just kind of looking like, "Oh, what did he just say? And I'm kind of looking like, what did I just say, right? Um, so there's a lot, so we can really have a discussion on this because there's a lot of aspects to it, which my other pastors will jump in on. Uh, but I would just say that where we stand as a church or a, a denomination, better yet, is that, and where Calvary stands is the, so you have the what's called the cessationalist, from, comes from the word cease, cessation, right? Not sensation, but cessationalist. And they're more of your your Calvinist kind of people and some of the other, uh, and they say there are no gifts of the Spirit, none of them are in use. Well, that's problematic because there's gifts of evangelism, gifts of administration, there's gifts that have to be used in the church or the church can't, you know, the church can't function. On the other end of the spectrum is anything goes and like i was saying so that's the extreme calvary's in the middle we believe that it, the apostle Paul said it should be done decently and in order and if it's not then it's not done if any one of us are at the pulpit preaching by the holy spirit and two or three people jump up and start shouting things you, you're competing with what god's so the holy spirit is divided he's he's using a whole bunch of gifts at the same time in this confusion. I just leave you with this one point and then I'll I'll kick it over to Pastor Paul is that, you know, I started going to a Calvary. I came from a Catholic church, you know, I'm exploring, uh, you know, I'm I'm curious about God and his word and even denominations and uh, a friend of ours said, "Oh, come to this church." you know, and we went to this church and it was beautiful converted farmhouse in New Jersey and my grandmother was disabled. She was like in a wheelchair. So we all go in and we think, oh, it's going to be cool. And she's in a wheelchair. And once it started, it was chaos. Once the music started, people were singing in one part. In the middle, a man was preaching and they're singing. And then there were people in the back that took their shoes off and were running up and down the aisles with flags And I'm like, oh, I got a headache. I can't, I'm getting a migraine. I can't function. Who am I supposed to be following here? Uh, But then when I grew in my faith and I read the scripture, that's an extreme. That's the Holy Spirit competing with the Holy Spirit, which makes no sense, right? A kingdom divided itself cannot stand. So if the people are in confusion and it, so it was kind of cool Like God knew I was going to be a pastor at one point and he let me experience some things that were strange, but at least now I can speak from experience and say, I learned nothing that day. If it wasn't for my grandmother being disabled, we were trying to leave, but we we didn't want to get run over by the people running up and down the aisles. So we just sat there and we're like, all right, nobody's trying to hurt us. Um, We'll just wait till it's over. And then we got up and we never went back again. So can you top that one? (laughs) My my mother told me
2: never to go to churches like that. So I never did. I was very obedient kid. Really, she, she did. Um... Yeah, so So, so can, I, can I just see the question? Oh, yes. Exactly. Yeah, just.. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, okay.. okay. So um, OK, so speaking in tongues so there, there, there are maybe two different ways to look at tongues. One is speaking in tongues and one is praying in tongues. So speaking in tongues is mentioned a few times, and like Pastor Joe said, the Apostle Paul covers it extensively. First Corinthians 12, 13, 14 um, talks about if um, anyone speaks speaks in a tongue, may, uh, pray that he may interpret. So there needs to be an interpretation. Um, uh, it's he speaks about it in the in the context of language. So when in Acts, when they spoke in various tongues and everyone could understand what they were saying, it was actual languages that they spoke. So there's that aspect of tongues, which is a gift to be able to proclaim God's word to people who you may not normally be able to communicate with. That's a gift of speaking in tongues. And of course, if that happens and it's a, and it's a real language, there will be someone to interpret. There will be someone there who understands what you're saying. The uh, Praying in tongues is, is maybe more... Um, Controversial, where it's only mentioned very briefly um, and that it edifies the spirit but nothing else. And it's more of a personal thing between you and God. Some people believe that there is a tongue language that we can pray with God. That's something that's outside of um, how we communicate with human beings. That's something that's... Um, that's uh, you know you wouldn't understand if you heard it uh, verbally, um, but I, I personally find a problem with with that because um, because I think God wants us to be able to communicate with Him, and, and if He only gave the gift of praying in tongues to certain people, then how would how would others communicate directly with God? You know what I mean? So so I think there's a problem with that. Speaking in tongues is a gift. Um, I, I think, like Pastor Joe said, as Calvary's, we kind of we acknowledge that that the gift is active, um, but to be used you know, in in order and not and not um, in a way that uh, that people would think, oh, that place is was weird and not want to come back and not want to hear about the Lord. So, yeah, I think there's there's order to to everything that God has.
3: Pastor Joe mentioned that uh, speaking in tongues is the least among the spiritual gifts, and that's in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-eight. And if you want to read a lot about tongues, it's in 1 Corinthians 14. So I'm just going to pick out a couple things. In verse 2 it says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. Then down in verse 9 it says, so likewise you unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand how will it be known what is spoken for you will be speaking into the air and then down in verse 20 brothers do not be children in understand do not be children in understanding however in malice be babes but in understanding be mature verse 22 therefore tongues are for a sign not to those who believe but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. So I was just thinking with the discussion, like let's just say somebody came in here tonight from a foreign country. And I like what Pastor Paul, the two examples he get he gave, I think it was in Acts, that whenever they spoke, in a, like uh, Peter, he spoke in his own language, but it was received by foreigners in their language so it would be like if you were all foreigners and couldn't speak English and we're up here speaking in English God allows you to hear it in your language I think that's the greatest use of tongues right there and that's what we see the best example in the scriptures is that type of tongues not some of the things like Pastor Joe was saying where people are conjuring up and causing confusion and people are being turned off to church
1: you know, it's you have to look at it. Also, tongues probably was used a lot pre pre technology, electronics, phones, interpreters. Um, you know, I he- I heard of a, a an account where they were there was a, a church congregation and a person got up and started speaking and nobody understood what it was. And then it, somebody jumped up and said, I, "I know that. That's Swahili. That's my native language." and nobody in the church, so it was like, well, that's pretty legit, you know, because um, the person who got up didn't, he, did, he or she didn't really know what they were saying, but, you know, a lot when we look at Acts, to reiterate, is that, you know, there was an interpretation issue. When everybody came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, they were from North Africa, they were from Eastern Europe, they were from, you know, the Nordic states, they were from all over, and they came to this little city of Jerusalem and uh, you know God struck while the iron was hot, Christ had just been crucified Uh, people were still in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover and you see a lot of this with the tongues because the people who maybe were there to enjoy the festival understood limited of what the people in Jerusalem spoke but they had to take the gospel back to their native country again it's pretty wild isn't it so uh, it still happens in on the missions field because of some of the interpretation and translation issues, including some places where there's uh, sort of these indigenous languages that are very rare, that if nobody understands it, how are they going to hear the gospel? So it's actually wild when you look at some of this stuff. Um, and I just go back to one thing is I, I kind of got off on a track, not surprising, is thats that, is that the the how do i say this i don't want to say the the rules or the the guidelines based on god's holy spirit is because i've seen people do this as as a new believer i'm learning i'm observing i'm an observer i don't always say stuff in the beginning but i'm just listening and i i saw people happen they did it a lot some people would use they just start blurting out tongues because it made everybody focus on them you know we can deceive ourselves the, very, the human mind is an interesting thing. And it was this kind of thing where this sort of group of people would... They wanted people to think that they were re- very spiritual. And no doubt, the same thing happened in Corinth. That's why possible Paul had to address it. So it's, it's, a, very, it's a fascinating subject.
3: The other, th- the other thing too is I remember when I was a young Christian that I went to a, uh, a diner where there was a Bible study and one of the guy's there, he was a businessman, and he said, you're not saved unless you speak in tongues. And I remember, and I was just a new Christian, and I I said, you're nuts, that doesn't work like that. You know, where do you get that? So some people will use that to divide the church, and again, that's a tactic of the enemy. So that's why it's so important to be a Berean and know what the scriptures say, so you will have a defense for those things that, you know, you're presented with. That was, that was uh, um, I'm sorry, that oh, was when I told it, the guy, no, that was when I said the guy was nuts, I think I was reading a paraphrase from one of my uh, <coughs> new Bibles at the time, so.
1: Peanuts or? Almonds? Peanuts, yeah, squirrels, whatever. All right, so I'm going to read the question about Revelation 7, <laughs> then I'm just going to kind of open it up to anything that we discussed that you'd like to reiterate as we get closer to closing. Uh, So Revelation 7, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. And it says those who will be saved during the Great Tribulation will not be individuals who had a chance to be saved during their lifetimes. I I would disagree with that respectfully. They will be those who heard and received the gospel message for the first time within this seven-year period and then were martyred for their faith. So they came out of the Great Tribulation. Who are they? Would they be the one-third of the Jewish people? 144,000 Jewish witnesses, two prophets. Seems like they were already believers. Seems like the Holy Spirit will be present at this time as well. So my understanding, and we're going to get to this in chapter 4 of First Thessalonians, that anyone who's in Christ, anyone who's in Christ at the rapture will be called up into the clouds. Uh, at some point in this uh, seven-year period, the uh, 12,000 from each of the tribes, 12 times 12 is 144, uh, they will be anointed, they will be uh, men who are, have, who are virgins, uh, they will be, fr- be able to trace their lineage back, uh, and most likely they were, would be people who were alive when the rapture took place. So if they, you know, if, but if they were believers when the rapture took place, they would have gone up with everybody else. Uh, So I'm just going to read this because why not read it. So 7.13 says, then one of the elders, so this is John in the revelation, and he's getting this tour from the angel. And it says, one of the elders answered saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? (laughs) And I, John said, sir, you know, (laughs) he has no idea who those people are. So he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and wash their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. Remember there's a lot of cataclysmic things that are happening in the seven year period. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No doubt they had a lot of tears coming out of that seven-year period. So it's interesting because, you know, the elder is saying, who are these people? And John no doubt looks over and goes, I don't know who they are. However, if they were part of his brethren at the time who were saved, he would have recognized them. So what what the tour or the... The elder and then the angel who works with him is saying is these are the tribulation saints. Um, so, And it's okay, people can disagree, but we believe that not only, and we, we look at the 144,000, not only those who have heard Christ for the first time in the tribulation, uh, also people who have heard prior, and now they're stuck having to wait for the second bus, as I often say, um, You know, you have to think about it this way. Somebody could hear... Listen, I heard Christ, I don't know, a dozen times or more. I was hard-headed, and eventually I came to Christ. Um, I, I have a hard time believing that God says to somebody, maybe who heard it once, you had your chance, you're stuck here for seven years. You know, people will come to the realization of Christ, those who have heard and those who haven't heard. And quite frankly, in this world... There's Jesus everywhere. There are Bibles everywhere. I mean, America is filled with them. How who who in America hasn't heard of Jesus? You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, you know, we believe that God is a merciful God, and I believe that it also gives us hope for our loved ones who aren't saved yet. Um, but and there's various levels of light that people receive prior to the rapture coming. Some get a lot of light. Some can, can come get a little bit of light. I will agree with the with the point though that. Uh, there are people who have heard and rejected, and then the rapture comes, and I don't even think it's going to matter to them. The antichrist is going to promise everybody everything's going to be great. Just take this mark, and the Bible's clear that those who take the mark now, they and I would agree with that that they can't be saved because the Bible tells us that you've totally have to when you take the mark of the beast. You that is coupled with a worship of the beast. It's a worship of you know your comforts with this mark. All this information in your body um so uh, i'm gonna like, let you guys jump in but i'm just gonna throw this out there you know elon musk is an odd person and sometimes he seems like he's a decent guy and then sometimes he seems like he's not he has interesting uh opposite qualities this neural link if you read up on this everyone's so excited they finally are able to put a, a computer and implant it into people's heads and of course, it's always starts with, we're going to cure cancer. We're going to make the paralytic walk, all this kind of stuff. But not for nothing, man. I don't want any corporation putting some mechanism in my head that's going to actually start to override my thoughts. So, you know, when this was written, people like but it's in the, in the forehead, what are you talking about? And then we were like, oh, yeah, it's the little chip in the hand. They do it at uh, Whole Foods. Now it's the, 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 the things going in your head. And I, and I would say to people, I try to talk to people who don't know Christ, I'm like, do not do that. That technology gets into the wrong hand. They could make you do whatever they want you to do. You don't have control over your body anymore. That's true. We've got a, a nurse and a chemistry major back there, and he's shaking his head, because this stuff is scary stuff. And it always starts with, we're going to cure cancer. And then it becomes, it gets into the wrong hands, and that's how the antichrist is going to start controlling all these people. Okay, you go next. Do you remember the question? Oh, it's about the tribulation saints. So,
3: you know, we live in intense times. And I think more than ever before, there's loved ones that we know and friends who have yet to make a decision for Jesus. And that's scary. Because we don't want any of our friends or loved ones to go into the tribulation. Because number one, we don't know if they'll survive that changeover. And if they do survive, then if they are, they're going to have to make a decision for to live for Christ or to um, have the Antichrist their Lord and Savior. So there's terrible times coming and it's so important that we are just living for Christ so that others will see that and God will work through us through His Holy Spirit. The... um, the speed of technology is unbelievable, right? I think every day it's, it's just increasing. There's there's things that are happening. And like Pastor Joe said, I think when I teach a week from Sunday, I'll cover some of the stuff we did in the staff meeting with just all those commercials during the Super Bowl and some of the messages that they were uh, subliminally sending us. And it's just a, a time that we just need to really know God's word to be in it to love his word, to be changed by his word, to just be rooted in the, uh, in the vine. Um, I'm not sure if there's something else we're supposed to touch here, Pastor Joe. Great tribulation. Oh, yeah, so the people, in the, um, the people who survive the tribulation will be the Jewish believers. The Bible says one-third will survive. That means two-thirds of the Jewish people will be killed that are left on the planet only a third will survive those will go into the thousand year reign along with the 144,000 you know you and i will will we'll be coming back with jesus christ for the millennium so we'll meet those people and remember the people that are alive during the millennium that survived the tribulation they're going to live like they're going to live long They're going to have children, and they said a baby that's 100 years old is still considered very, very young. So things will change on the planet as far as the time frame. You and I will be part of that. That's something that we're learning as we read, the things that we're being educated with. So there's a lot coming. There's a lot of great stuff that's going to happen, and it's good to know what's coming before it happens, that you have the guide right here in the Scriptures.
1: You want to just think about that real quick. I just want to read this this article about Neuralink. It's so funny. I just was looking it up as Pastor Vinny was speaking. It says we have to make choices as a society. How much of our power will we give to the machines? How much does this sound like a science fiction movie? Where do those movies come from? It's the consciousness in those movies that are asking us to explore. How much do we want to give of ourselves? This is; These are secular people writing this. So, uh, yes, if you want to be part of that experiment, you can. I'm staying far away from that stuff. But go Pastor
3: ahead. Joe, right, about the prince of the power of the air, and Elon Musk even said a few years ago something about it's like demonic or satanic or something, some of the stuff that he's working with.
1: Then <laughs> why are you working with it? Right, right? exactly. <laughs> yeah, hello. It's like he's an interesting person, but go ahead.
2: Um, I, can't, I, I can't add too much more except I wanted to read from Romans chapter one because this uh, whoever wrote the question said they those uh, who will be sa- then there will be some people saved during the tribulation um, s- some who have heard the message of the gospel uh, prior to the tribulation maybe f- through our own witness and. They didn't make that decision beforehand. Um, But also, not only through our own witness, but also as it says in Romans 1, it says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. So people who haven't actually even been witnessed to or been, or the gospel has been shared with them in the way that we would, you know, witness to someone or evangelize, would still know that there's a God before going into the tribulation, and they rejected it, you know, and so. But there will be opportunities again during those seven years to make that decision. Maybe someone goes into the tribulation that you witnessed to and said says immediately, oh, now I know what they were talking about. You know what I mean? Because of everything that's going on, now I know what they were talking about. Now I believe. It might happen right away. It might take, you know, more
3: time. I was thinking the apostles after the resurrection of Jesus, they were fearful men. And when they spent time with Jesus, they were totally changed. Now they would go to their death because they knew that death couldn't do anything. They saw a man that was dead that came back from the grave. So I think the same thing with those people um, that we know, like you just said, Pastor Paul, is that they'll be alive, but they know that what we said was true, and they know now they serve a risen Savior, and they're not afraid, and they might be great evangelists during that seven-year time or for whatever time they have
1: left. Who can understand the human psyche? Peter walked on water because Christ called him to... And then he started to sink when he lost his focus. Um, and then Peter saw the miracles, saw the feeding, saw the raising of Lazarus, saw the raising of the little girl. Peter saw all these things. And then in the garden, in the courtyard, after Jesus is arrested, says, I do not know the man. Three times he called down swears to t- totally distance himself from the Lord. So, you know, Peter's a great example of somebody who didn't get it right when he saw a lot more light than we've seen. And then he you know, Jesus even kind of, you know, after he's resurrected, he, you know, tell the, tell the disciples and Peter, right? So Jesus really goes a long way into saying to Peter, you know, it's me and even Thomas, like who's Thomas? I'm not going to believe until I put my fingers in the wounds. It's like, all right, everybody's on board, but Thomas. So Jesus is like, here you go. Put it here, 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 uh, and Thomas was like, "Oh, I believe, well, no kidding, you know jesus said so i mean if if Peter and thomas could Jesus could go the extra mile for them, i have a hard time believing that if somebody heard once now and then we get raptured tomorrow because they didn 't jump on it i i, I don 't think God works like that. I think that they will have other opportunities like i said I, the, who Maybe some of you have come to Christ the second you heard of the gospel. I know I didn't. I don't know if you guys did. It took a while. So um, I, I, I tend to believe that people even now have heard they will. And some people will harden their hearts. They heard everything we said. Rapture comes. They see that we disappeared, and they're still hardening their heart. Others will be like, oh, my goodness. Maybe panic sets in. I got to find a Bible. I got to start reading it. I got to know what to expect because this is real. So, um, any questions before we go to prayer? We're, we're getting to a little bit of the later time, so any questions? No? All right. You got to talk loud. Uh. That comes from Pastor
3: Jeremiah. Mhm. That it would be too late for?
1: Yeah, could, if you know the page and stuff, I'd like to see that because I was watching a, a discussion in a chat about the book, The Great Disappearance, and they, they all seemed to be on board that he was saying that even people now who've been witness to... They're talking about Dr. David Jeremiah... Uh, you know, I, I'd like to see that passage. Um, you know, I mean, we're pretty much 100% with his doctrine, and we're not even the same denomination. Uh, but I, I'd like to see that. But you know, I've listen. I've listened to other pastors who they said things that Pastor Chuck, right? He founded our denomination, and I uh, listened to him on the the iPad and he or the iPod. I don't even know. I'm not a tech guy. And he said, No one's ever been, people only get saved through love. No one's ever been saved through sort of like a fire and brimstone. I'm like, That's not true. We see that in, in Revelation sometimes. And I know people who have been saved through fiery preaching because they were so hard hearted. It took that to shake their foundation. So listen, I'm going to say things that are wrong. Famous pastors are going to say things that are wrong. But I would like to see that. Discussion in his book, if, you'd like, if you like I, I find think it.
3: I heard one of his interviews, and I know what he did say was that if you take the mark yes. that there's yes. no turning back, I've heard him say that, but I would like to hear that one too because he's pretty solid or very solid okay, I have a question. Uh-huh. So there's a lot of, you know, there's people here, and of course there's people on the Internet. They might be a Calvary background, they might be Catholic, they might be Scientology, they might be Mormon. Um, If God is speaking to them tonight for salvation, is there anything specific that they need to do?
1: So one of the well-known pastors at Calvary Chapel, Raul Reese. Uh, was planning to do a horrible thing years ago decades and he actually the tv was on and chuck smith came on and started sharing about jesus christ and uh he chuck smith you know related a and again we it's not a formula it's it's from the heart and uh uh made a decision that moment to put his gun down and to listen to what was being preached on tv and to say that prayer and to receive Jesus and his life completely changed from there. So uh, we do have a very large uh, live stream audience. And, you know, every Wednesday and Sunday, we have a lot of live streamers that maybe they're not close, maybe they're not ambulatory, uh, but they listen anyway. Uh, So I would just say that, again, every time we do an altar call or to receive Christ, we always do it different because it's not a formula. It's a hard thing. But I would just say while you're watching, listening, Uh, you can just repeat a prayer after me and say, Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior. I do believe that you died on the cross for the sins of humanity, which includes me. I want to trust in that sacrifice. I want you to be my Lord and Savior and I want to walk with you the entirety of this life and into eternity. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Just to ask these things, and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've said that um, just now, uh, certainly let us know. Send us an email. uh, Give us a a call. The the, uh, phone number is there. and uh, The uh, website, we'd love to just give you free materials. Free Bible. No strings attached, free devotional, and uh, you know you start your walk with Christ. Amen? Anything else? Okay, well, good night. This concludes our session. All right, everybody.
0: You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossroads. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org Thanks for listening and may God bless.